Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 158. The Vivo Rio Pro, stop number eight on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, has finished with Caitlin Simmers and Iago Dora taking home the wins and Matt Violas and Mayhem Surfboards retaining their number one spot on the current Visla CT Shaper rankings, making it three in a row at this point. Next stop for the world's best surfers will be the Corona Open J-Bay, but for now, you can check out the WSL Challenger Series with the Bolito Pro presented by O'Neill happening right now and surfers battling for a spot on next season's Dream Tour. The event is streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 158. We are back with my part-time co-host for this season where we run through winners and losers from Sakurama. We dive deep into the update on the Visla CT Shaper rankings, answer listener questions, and much more. We had a lot of fun on this podcast, and we hope you do too. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And now I just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's out of your boxes. All right, we are back with the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with my part-time co-host for this season, Mitch Salazar. And we are back. We are covering the recently completed Vivo Rio Pro, stop number eight on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season, won by Brazil's Iago Dora, which was the first CT win of his young career, vaulting him to fifth on the current rankings. And rookie sensation Katie Simmers of Oceanside, California, collecting her second win of her very young career. So congratulations to both of them. Mitch, you were on the ground in Sakurama. Uh, tell us what were the vibes like and what did you witness that maybe didn't make it onto the broadcast? Well, first of all, they've uh, some dark days for a lot of surfers out there, especially the higher ranked ones, but some incredible mm -hmm. performances. Really cool to see the 10 that Yago got in the final against Ethan Ewing, a guy that had a lot to prove and everything to gain there at home, went from number 12 in the rankings to number five. I think the most surprising thing to me and, and the thing that you probably can't feel despite the big ambiance is the beach crowd. 55,000 mm. people on the beach for finals day, Dave. It was crazy. It's nothing I've ever experienced before. And that's after surfing and covering the U.S. Open for so many years. Brazil's crazy. I really love it down there for the CT event. It was rad. And I'm sure we'll get into this, too. I mean, there were uh, a few lay days, right, between <laughs> action there. and um, But it was really nice. The conditions seemed like they turned on for those last two days. And it was just awesome to see how well the surfers surfed despite having that break in the middle. And I'm sure the crowd on the beach gave them a ton of energy. But Mitch, let's get into it. Let's get into our opening segment, which is winners and losers. And I will let you kick us off. 
Well, my first loser is pretty easy, Dave. It's the elite core of surfers on the men's championship tour side. We lost mm. number one, number two, Gay Magina, and unfortunately, the local boy Joshianka also went down in the round of 16. to Samuel Pupo, one of his good friends. But man, what a massacre, Dave. It was crazy. Jetson Andre taking down a few big names in back to back heats Griffin Colopinto and Felipe Toledo. And then Samuel Pupo also taking a big opportunity of being a wild card. Last year's runner up in the event, making it to the quarterfinals this year. But what a missed opportunity by a lot of the high seeds, especially for Griffin Colopinto, who was leading the rankings, heading into Jeffries Bay. You would have been thinking, okay, this is a good spot for him to extend his lead. Now it's gone to Felipe Toledo, another person that lost in the round of 16 after winning the last three events in Sacuarema. But to me, the most surprising thing is still Gabe's demise at the CT level mm. in Sacuarema. I still can't believe it, Dave. He still cannot get a good result there in Rio. It's really strange. I mean, and Gabe Medina is someone I've been interested in. All year, I think towards the back half of last year, and he won the the CS in Sacarema in November last year, and he's been training. He looks stronger than he's ever looked. His surfing is incredible. He had that big win in Western Australia earlier this year, but outside of a few bright spots, he just hasn't had that same consistency. And I'm with you. I really thought he was going to turn on here in Sakurama. And that, that my first loser is almost exactly the same, you know, everyone in the men's top five outside of Ethan Ewing, who finished runner up, yep. you mentioned Griffin Colapinto, Felipe Toledo, Zhao Xiang, uh, you know, and even guys like Jack Robinson, who's been on a downward slope, they all suffered early exits, either in the elimination round or the round of 16, which, interestingly enough, it leaves the door kind of wide open across these next two events on the men's side. We just have such a concentration of proven winners and not past proven winners where it's like, oh, that guy used to win 10 years ago, yeah. all within the last few years all circling those top five positions. So it's going to be really interesting. You know, who do you have uh, next up on your losers from Sakurama? Well, my second loser, uh, you know, it goes to the person that's actually the defending champion going into the next event on the women's side. It's Tatiana Weston Webb. Loses mm. in the elimination round. I had the chance and the pleasure of working with her husband, Jesse, during the broadcast. But, I mean, Tati had a great first opening round heat and then just wasn't able to keep it together during the elimination round. Coming off of a third-place result in the previous season at the same event, Dave. And then this year wasn't even able to replicate the same amount of success. She's right outside top five, tied with Stephanie Gilmore for number six. She's looking for a big result here. But guess what? Jeffries Bay and Tahiti, those are two events back-to-back -back with a lot of pressure, and they're also expecting to have some good conditions. Just like we had here in Brazil, a lot of lay days, six lay days in between the first day of mm. competition to the second day. That can definitely mess with your mind. It seemed like it happened to Tati. It's a really good point, and she's such a good surfer, and she's so strong. She's one of the few goofy footers on tour, so she has that great point of difference when she's firing. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to ask you, Mitch, about Tatiana. It's something we see in surfing so often, you know, where you have this meteoric ascent up the rankings. You have this insurgent force. You're maybe challenging the status quo. You've got a lot of attitude, a lot of talent, a lot of power. And sometimes you see surfers get so close to grabbing a hold of that ring, missing out, and the psychological damage of that really propels them back for a period of time. And, you know, we saw it a couple of years ago with Tatiana being inarguably one completed turn yep. away from winning the world title. 
couldn't put it together against Carissa Moore. And she served great since then, but just it's felt like that fire hasn't been there. I know she's been dealing with a few injuries, but mostly it feels like a confidence thing because when she's on, she's on. But I don't know if you agree with that assessment or not. It just feels like that something clicked a couple of years ago in the finals and she's yet to kind of regain that confidence. The sport of surfing is so complicated when it comes to accepting loss and accepting defeat. And it's a balance of having victories and losses and, you know, enabling both of those things to fuel the fire for future events. And I think specifically for somebody that's gunning for a world championship, like Tati, as you mentioned, one of the only two goofy footers on the women's championship tour, you have a chance to be different. And, and just be a little bit more creative than all the regular footers on the championship tour. And especially when it comes to waves like in Brazil, where you can definitely find some different angles, be a little bit, um, uh, bring some variation to the table when it comes to the maneuvers that you're selecting on these waves of consequence as well. And especially in the barrel riding wave of Tahiti, mm. that's a good spot for you. So don't look at one event being the downfall of your entire career, just like it happened when you when she became uh, runner-up to the World Championship in 2021. Instead, let that kind of fuel things down the line and say to yourself, okay, I ended up number two. I was one turn away from being world champion. But now guess what? If I do that a couple more times, I could have beaten Carissa Moore in just two heats mm. instead of her taking me to, uh, to match number three in the Rip Curl WSL Finals. I truly mm. think that it's a psychological thing right now because it seems like her surfing's there. She'll have one good score on a heat, Dave, and then a poor one mm. to back it up. It's a great point. Well, my second loser is an oldie but a goodie, but I'm resurrecting an answer from earlier in the year, and that is uh, La Nina. It's back. Well, maybe not La Nina. Maybe it's more the liminal space between La Nina and El Nino, but whatever the case may be, we talked about it. A lot of ladies in Sacarema, a place that is pretty consistent in terms of having something to surf. Mitch, you were down there. You are a former competitor yourself. The surfers trust you. You you have insights into their worlds that no one else does. Um, and you touched on it a little bit already, but when you have a competition window like the one we just did, right, where you run a couple days, you have a ton of lay days, and then you resume competition, what does that do to people? Like, do, do some people thrive with that? Does everyone just suffer? Like, what, what, is, what do you think the psychology is of people that have to start, stop, and restart again? Well, I'm just going to tell you the craziest thing about the six days that we had for, for the lay days was that the main break where we actually had the event site was the only spot on the beach that didn't have something to surf. It's so deep mm. right there because it goes from deep water to shallow real quick and then deep when, once it gets to the shore break yet again. So there wasn't really anything breaking. Everything was either down the beach or further up, you know, 20, 30 minutes up the road. But there were plenty of waves on offer. I want to say shoulder to, you know, maybe a little head high on, on the bigger sets. But for somebody like Yalgadora, he embraced those lay days, and he actually said he benefited off of them. Having some time off, being able to regroup, hang out with his friends, hang out with his dad, and especially the rest of his family was there too. That's not something he's able to do at every single mm. stop on the championship tour. Same thing for Katie Simmers. It seemed like she mm. might have been looking the other way. Oh, too much pressure. I have to do all these autographs, all these fan signings. But guess what? Her, her dad, Jesse, came up to me and asked me, hey, like, what do you think? Should I tell her to go and do these things and just say it's part of the job? And I told her, hell yeah, because that's something that you're going to have to do further down the line once she makes it to lower trestles too. A lot of press conferences, a lot of media stuff, and the earlier you get on it, Dave, the better. 
That's not going to change for her for sure. <laughs> who who is your third loser coming out of the Viva Rio Pro Mitch? Oh man, uh, this is a hard one to pick. But we've talked about him earlier this year. We're going to talk about him again right now. It's Kelly Slater. Missed mm. opportunity, I feel. Yes, it seemed like there was some sickness involved. But I just feel so bad for Ramsey Bukim right now, who did not receive mm. a wild card for the back end of the year. And Kelly taking it. I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about Kelly in the sense that, you know, he probably was sick and whatnot. But you need to be taking care of yourself if you're a championship tour surfer at this part of your career to your 51 years of age. You had an opportunity to move up in the rankings and especially what what he has in his mind for a goal as of next year. Talking about Paris 2024, you got to start mm. proving things right now, man. And if you don't mm. start having that mentality of being a champion, overcoming all these adversities, whether it's an illness or waves, it ain't going to happen in 2024. <sighs> He's a unique guy, and, and what isn't, you know, unique to, to champions like that is, and I'm not going to play armchair psychologist with, with anyone, especially him, but, but there is sort of the common thread of, like, if you ain't first, you're last, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the interest where it's like, if you're in the hunt, the fangs are out, the blades are sharp, you're ready to go. You're like, I don't care about my injury, yeah. I don't care about my illness, here we go. You know, Kelly, he is at the very bottom of the rankings right now. Um, and I wonder if that has something to do with it, where he's like, well, what's the what's the point? Like, I'm not feeling well. I, I'm not going to push it. But I'm with you, man. If you're going to be on tour, let's have a crack and let's see where you end up. And uh, TBD on whether he turns up to J-Bear or not. He's, he's got a great history with mm -hmm. that wave. I think if the forecast looks good, it's almost a guarantee he'll turn up. But stranger things have happened, you know. My uh, my third loser coming out of Brazil was actually me, um, and my my lack of enthusiasm, <laughs> confidence uh, for Katie Simmers in oh. her rookie year. You know, and in fairness, like everything I saw ahead of this season, I was completely convinced that she was and is an incredible server and potentially a paradigm shifting surfer, but. 16, 17 is so young. And, and I would think I was pretty vocal about it. I was like, man, I'm worried that it's possible she might just get belted by some seasoned CT veterans and get rattled before she even gets a chance to shine. Well, I was uh, dead wrong on that, you know, a win in Portugal, a win in Sacarema, great surfing in and out of the water and currently sitting at number five on the rankings, which it's a huge credit to her. And you mentioned her dad, but but for for sure, her family and friends, and I think everyone in her support team, um, including and for sure, you know, her coach Tom Whitaker. I think I think that's got a lot to yep. do with her success this year. Well, and just to backtag on that, I think a big part of her motivation coming in this event too was the lack of a good performance in Puta Roca as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, she ended up with the worst place result she could have had right there, and she really got smoked too. She didn't have a single score better than the two in that heat. Huge bounce back result over Tyler Wright, who's made two finals in a row as well. But just to be able to handle the pressure of everybody on the beach cheering you on, chanting your name, 55,000 people on the beach and you're 17 years of age and your second final ever on the CT. Pretty cool moment right there, Dave. It's very cool. Well, let's switch to the winners, Mitch. Who you got? Well, first one's a pretty easy one. It's the rise of Yagorora. I've known this mm. guy for 13 years and I actually spoke to Leandro, his father and coach, the day before the event started. I told him, like, hey, like, 
I'd be so happy for Iago if he gets his first CT win here in Brazil, uh, overcoming all adversity. And guess what? When I saw him at the after party and we were able to chat a little bit, I was like, you know what? I told you. I told you this was going to happen a week ago. And just awesome to see it. He's a person that I feel is very deserving of recognition. Moving all the way from number 12 in the rankings to five, that's a huge jump. He qualifies for lower trestles. He has a great shot. Incredible rail game, superb aerial surfing, but the way he's able to combo everything up, Dave, that's really what makes him dangerous out there. It's a great one. He's such a big, strong surfer and someone who pretty much from the jump, even the world champs on tour like that, that that guy's got it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's one of those situations, the Brazilian storm has been so dominant, but their depth is so huge you know like there's so many surfers that there's only so much space for people to keep in their heads and their hearts about like i got gabriel i got felipe and we got italo and 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 so many surfers where you're like well i don't have space for everybody but it doesn't mean that iago is not as deserving Mm -hmm. or as dangerous in those conditions and i think it's great to see him get his first win i think it's going to be the first of many. Um, And, and my first winner, I'm going to go with uh, actually repeat winner from last week's episode or our last episode. Um, And now we are winning even more. I think the surfing world, you know, the fans, if you take a look at the current WSL final five on the men's and women's sides, it's pretty out of control. On the women's side, you've got Carissa Moore, Tyler Wright, Caroline Marks, Molly Picklum, and Katie Simmers. Just outside of that, you've got Steph Gilmore, Tatiana Weston-Webb, and Lakey Peterson, which is awesome. And then we mentioned it already, but on the men's side, you have Felipe Toledo, when there's some injury concerns when he went down in Sacaremo. Hopefully he's okay. Griffin Colapinto, Ethan Ewing, Zhao Xianca, who... At one point, as a tour sophomore, was leading the rankings for multiple yep. events. He's sort of slipped down the rankings. And then, as you mentioned, Iago Dora vaulting from 12th to 5th. He's in the top five. But just outside those top five, you've got John John Florence, Gabriel Medina, Jack Robinson, Leonardo Fioravanti, and Italo Ferreira. Um, you know, my God, I, I'm hesitant <laughs> to make a joke about circling sharks ahead of the J-Bay event. But man, like... If you were Zhao or Iago or even Ethan and you're looking in the rear view, that would be terrifying, which yeah. terrifying for them, but great for the fans. I think across Jeffrey's Bay and Tahiti, it's going to be just an awesome battle to see who gets a crack at the world title come September. Especially with how good and sneaky John John's performance was at this event, too. He had two of the mm. highest wave scores of the event, an eight and a nine for the alley oop in the opening round. And I think. Leading into my second winner, Dave, I thought Mm. the judging was my second winner, to be honest, out of this event. Mm. I thought it was very appropriate given the conditions. Day one, we had multiple great airs. I don't know if you remember the opening round heat between Magina and Yago. Mm -hmm. Magina gets an incredible air on the left, drops an excellent score, and then Yago literally in the dying minutes is able to get a right and drop an 8.83, which at that point of the event was his best score. Drops a 10 in the final in the critical section. I mean... Let's just be real. It's a closeout. The thing had a three right. written on it right. at the most. The guy drops a 10. And then there's a six-point ride by Ethan Ewing by one throw-tail nose reverse that I thought was perfectly scored. It broke combo for him. He still needed a good score at the end of the heat. But it goes to show you that really analyzing and diversifying their portfolio when it comes to progression and the combination of major mm-hmm. maneuvers, especially at a wave that is so difficult to judge, like Sakurama, it moved a mm-hmm. lot. 
from day one, day two to day three, conditions change very much. I thought judging was on point, Dave. It's a great one. I think the judges, uh, certainly people aren't shy about vocalizing their displeasure <laughs> with them when, when they don't agree with the scores, but it's pretty rare that anyone says good job. Mm-hmm. So I think well-earned for the judges on this one. Uh, you know, my second winner is the legend of one Jadson Andre. <laughs> Uh, this man, he has been on and off tour so many times. He's currently competing on the Challenger Series after falling off the CT at Margaret River, but he got the call up for the Vivo Rio Pro following the withdrawal of uh, Kelly Slater, which is either ironic or kismet or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, after Jadson, who beat Kelly in their final in Brazil in 2010, it was Jadson's rookie year. And, you know, post-final, Kelly took some shots at Jadson about seeing how he'd surf at places like Jeffrey's Bay and Chopu, which was not very nice. And poor Jadson had to suffer on social media at the hands of a, a lot of keyboard warriors at the time. But Jadson rips, and he's ripped the entire time in, in pretty much all conditions. He charges, and he smashed his way to a fifth-place finish, finish in uh, Sacarema. And he took down both Griffin Colapinto and Felipe Toledo in the process. So, so good for Jadson. No, for real. And just to clarify and really specify what he did during that event, took out world number one in the elimination round in Griffin. And then Felipe moved up to world number one in the round of 16, took him out right there, back to back. Some incredible stuff by Jadson Andre. And as you said, he's been one of the most perseverant surfers within professional surfing really love to see him succeed and speaking of success dave my third winner and i think the most important one out of this event is the progression of female surfing Mm. unbelievable stuff i mean we're talking about caitlin simmer 17 years of age gets her second victory in just two finals so far on the championship tour this season tyler wright with back-to-back finals both in, in the Americas and El Salvador and now here in Sacuarema. And I cannot just specify how good the 8.83 from Carissa Mora was watching it live in the quarterfinals on the previous afternoon of competition. Good Lord, Dave. It was here before. Uh, it's been here now. And I think it's skyrocketing to this later this season, too. I love it. It's a great call. And it's it's actually pretty in line with my third and final winner coming out of uh, Rio. And it's it's someone who we don't talk a ton about, but just because there's not always space for this, but it's Gabriella Bryan. Mm-hmm. And she has been surfing so well all season. And I kind of had that realization in the back of my head. I knew she was. Every time I watched her surf, it's just like, power and style and and she's she's ripping you know but it was actually when i was working the calculations out for the visla ct shaper rankings and i'm not going to bore everyone but it's a bunch of excel spreadsheets and there are deeper rankings and and notations than what you see on the website but i always kind of have a a a shaper and then some initials next to the shaper on the excel spreadsheet just to denote which surfer it was which is always confusing when it's caroline marks or chris moore because they're both the same but my point is the gb the gabriella bryan features consistently she's just chipping away she's a young surfer on tour she doesn't get a ton of fanfare compared to a lot of the other surfers but she has just had a great season she's currently tied with lakey peterson at eighth on the rankings and i just love watching her surf every time she gets out in the water um, regardless of the conditions yeah and 
Uh, she truly excels under pressure, too. In the opening round, she actually served in the first heat of the event. Molly Picklum took the lead, and then Gabby had an opportunity to take the lead back at the end, got the score that she needed, ended up losing in the quarterfinals. But we talk about performances against top five surfers and being clutch in big moments in, in heats. Gabriella Bryan has proved that. 2021 Challenger Series champion, rookie of the, of the year last season, made a final when she needed to. And this year, she's been consistent, Dave. No issue making the midseason cut. And now she could definitely be moving into the top five with two events to go. I'm excited. Well, that wraps up winners and losers for the Vivo Rio Pro. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new docuseries and a celebration of our culture, bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne DeFay, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash at Samsung. All right, we are back. This is the lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan here with Mitch Salazar. It is now time for the Visla CT Shaper Rankings update following the Vivo Rio Pro. Shaper Rankings! 
quick refresher. We are ranking these shapers this season based off the performance of their surfers. It is a combined men's and women's ranking. We are counting all performances that finish in the quarterfinals or better and tracking the performance from CT1 at Pipeline through CT10 in Tahiti. And we will crown the CT shaper of the year before the Rip Curl WSL finals this September. So when the dust had settled in Rio, it was Team Mayhem, headed by Matt Biolas out of San Clemente, who not only retained their number one position on the Vistla CT Shaper rankings, but added to it. Um, this is largely on the strength of Iago's big maiden victory on the men's side, and then they collected both equal thirds on the women's side with Carissa Moore and Caroline Marks, as well as a fifth from the aforementioned Gabby Bryan. You know, Mitch, what did you notice uh, just board-wise, equipment-wise, uh, when you were down in Sakurama? Well, it definitely seems like mayhem makes good boards for real. Yagodor mm. w- winning, Gabriela Bryan's big performance, Caroline Marks also making it pretty deep into the event, and we can't forget about Carissa Moore as well. But I just feel like there's a lot of similarities between some beach breaks in Southern California. They really connect to those beaches in Sakurama, and I definitely felt that more than anything on finals day. It just seems like Yago's dominance and his continuation of seeking flow and better scores each heat throughout that he was surfing on finals day seemed to get better with each one, Dave. It's a good point. And we've got two events left on this season's Visla CT Shaper Rankings race, Jeffries Bay and Chopu. That means there's 195,800 potential points up for grabs before the regular season is out and we determine who the 2023 CT Shaper of the Year is. A lot can happen. As we said last episode and what seems to be the case more and more as we watch these events unfold, it's essentially a three-horse race right now. Both Darren Hanley, DHD, and Sharp Eye, headed by Marcio Zuvi, seem most likely to challenge to challenge uh, Biolus and the Mayhem program across these two events. You know, DHD stayed pretty hot. You know, they had Ethan Ewing in the final, Molly Picklam in the quarterfinals, but they did miss out on collecting points from reliable hitters like Stephanie Gilmore, Connor O'Leary, Liam O'Brien, and Callum Robson. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that changes at the upcoming right-hand point break of Jeffrey's Bay when you look at the pedigree of a lot of those surfers. And then Sharp Eye, they had a pair of equal fifths on the men's side in Leonardo Fioravanti and Baron Mamia, Baron Mamia, who, you know, they've been really uh, consistent producers uh, for Sharp Eye for most of the season. But, you know, Sharp Eye too, they missed out Pretty big in Sakurama with Felipe Toledo and Jack Robinson, Kanoa Igarashi, Rio Waida, Seth Moniz, Joanne DeFay, and Tatiana Weston Webb. That that is a lot of quality surfers that you'd expect to crack the quarterfinals in Brazil. You know, Mitch, when you're looking at those top three shaping programs and what happened in Rio and what could potentially happen in South Africa and in Tahiti, what are your kind of read on on What's going to happen? Do you think Mayhem's going to continue to go strength to strength and take it? Do you think DHD or Sharp Eye could swing their fortunes over the next couple of events? I think Darren Hanley Designs and Sharp Eye are going to come out guns blazing in South mm. Africa, and they're going to have 
a good string of results heading into Tahiti as well. If you look at past results by former champions out there, DHD on the men's side, Ethan Ewing, Jack Robinson for Sharp Eye, the runner-up last season, Sharp Eye victorious on the women's side with Tatiana Wesson-Webb, and we can't forget, obviously, about the queen of surfing as well, Stephanie Gilmore riding the mm-hmm. DHDs under her feet as well. But I just really like the chances of Felipe Toledo doing well there. He will be surfing at Jeffrey's Bay. He will be comfortable enough. It seems like pain management is really just a thing for him. But it seems that by then, he will be able to surf at 100% capacity. And I do want to mention, Dave, that I had the chance to speak to Marcia Zuvi on the ground in Sacuarema. He's stoked about the Vizla CT Shaper rankings. He really loves the idea, but he said that he wants to talk to you to be able to tweak some things and maybe specify some things going into 2024 because what he was saying is that he would like a smaller amount of surfers to be counted on the women's side since there's such a smaller field. He would like it to be semifinal finishes or better for them. I think it's an interesting point, and I think you know we've said all season long it's a pilot program. Like we're really excited by the conversation we've had about it this year. We're not going to change the goalposts, you know, no. midway through the season. But I think that carries a lot of weight. You know, at the end of the day, we want to be tracking performance and we want to be counting results of impact, mm-hmm. right? And the quarterfinals or better idea was like, well, what we think based on past seasons is that if you're not getting in the quarterfinals or better as a CT surfer, you're not qualifying for the Rip Curl WSL finals. Mm-hmm. So finishing below that's probably not making a huge dent. I think what we've seen this year may maybe warrants a little bit of a tweak next year because I don't know if on the women's side, specifically post relegation, if the quarterfinals is going to cut it. It might be semifinals or better that become those results of impact compared to the men's it's a larger field and yada 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 but i do love that the the shapers are really engaged (laughs) on the program this year for sure you know other kind of odds and ends like we saw one da uh board company they joined the total board because they are under jadson andre's feet with his quarterfinal finish so that brings the total amount of shapers who have collected results this season on the uh, 2023 Vizsla CT Shaper rankings up to 17, which is pretty cool. One thing I will note is looking at the makeup between just the men's rankings and the women's rankings, as far as the shapers go, of course, the Vizsla CT Shaper ranking is a combined ranking. But you look on the men's ranking, Sharp Eye is well out in front, right? 103,505 points ahead of number two, which is Mayhem with 69,805 points. If you look at the women's specific ranking, Mayhem's way out in front with 114,495 points. And Sharp Eye is all the way down at four with only 37,235 points. So it does speak, at least as far as this program is concerned in 2023, to the balance of teams. And Sharp Eye has a really solid women's team, but Joanne DeFay was out with an injury for a good chunk of the year. Mm-hmm. And as we've said, Tatiana Weston-Webb hasn't really been delivering the results we've expected of her. She was ill in in El Salvador, so that cut her event short, and then just didn't deliver what we thought she was going to in Sacarema. But it is interesting when you look at the different men's and women's uh, rankings. What do you think about that, Mitch? 
I think it's really cool. And I think it just adds more fuel to the fire too, Dave. I, I think it adds a lot of flair to what we're trying to bring right here. And I really want to give props to a couple of surfers on the Sharp Eye Surfboards team, especially on the men's side. I think Leo Fioravanti has been spectacular this year. He's really been surpassing my expectations of him at the surf ranch in Sakurema. I thought he surfed great in El Salvador despite losing a close heat to Kanoi Garashi. And I really want to give props to Baron Mamiya. The way he was able to bring it to John John Florence in the quarterfinals, make the midseason cut in Margaret River when he needed a big result too, and now being a staple of that team. The addition of Seth Moniz is great as well. Jack Robinson always going to be a staple for the Sharp Eye team, but it's really, to, to me, the more underappreciated, underrepresented surfers on their shaping team that have really set out to me this season, Dave. Awesome. Well, that is our update for the Visla CT Shaper Rankings. We're going to take one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. Welcome back to the Lineup Podcast, everybody. I'm your part-time co-host, Mitchell Salazar, here with your actual host, Dave Prodan, and we're into our funnest segment of the pod, our listener questions. Thanks to everybody for riding in at the Lineup Pod, and if we don't get to your question this episode, we'll do our best to respond in our direct messages, as we always do. All right, first question, Dave. It's a real fun one. From at cruise.mckee, most underrated surfer of all time and why oh yeah that's <laughs> that's a really good question i'm surprised we haven't been asked that before um 
Man, put me on the spot. I will say I think uh, there's a lot of ways you could tackle this question. Mm-hmm. You could be very quantifiable and be like, well, that person's ranking was never above 15 and it should have been much higher, right? Or probably everyone just goes by feel. And then I think if you go by feel, it's a very personal thing. Like what kind of surfing are you into or what were you exposed to? Um, a surfer that always comes to mind is like to this day blows my mind by how awesome they were in so many different conditions and uh never really got to where i thought they would be per their talent is uh sean canstell um from australia i i I had the good fortune of being on tour a little bit when sean was on there for a few years sean for for those who don't know is a goofy footer from mulloway in new south wales australia and he came up through the billabong bloodlines program and was like a, a awesome amateur pro junior surfer. You know, everyone said he surfed a lot like Aki. He does surf a lot like Aki. He's like, his rail game's awesome. He's super powerful. Um, he, he could go to the air and he was just good forehand, backhand. He, sur- he surfed critical waves really well. Um, and and he came on tour and, and he, he had some good results. I think he made a few finals. Mm-hmm. But then he he fell off tour, and I remember the year he fell off tour, it was so bizarre. I'd have to go back and check it for authenticity purposes, but it felt like, and I know this happened at a few events, that he kept losing early in events, both on the CT and the qualifying series, because it wasn't like it is now. It was, it was you would do both throughout the year. Um, and he'd lose with like 18 points in his heat. And for some reason the person who beat him or the two people who advanced past him had like 19 or something points, you know? And it was crazy because he would have won like virtually every other heat in that round. And it kept happening. He kept getting like sevens and eights and nines in his heats and still losing. And I remember this happened at the U S open that year, which was about midway through the year. And he got out of his heat and it was the exact same thing happened. It was a four man heat he got like 17.5 points. I think all the heats were being won with like 13 points that day. But for some reason in his heat, he got like 17.5 and then someone else got 18 and someone got 18.5. And I remember he sat down in one of those crappy white plastic chairs that look like they break every time you sit <laughs> on them, like right outside the beach marshal area and like was just despondent. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, what is going on with this guy? And I was in the water a few times with him in like really average conditions and the way he could read the ocean uh, to this day, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Like he, like really crappy waves that like you would struggle just to get up on. He was S turning and doing like these beautiful figure eight carves and waves that weren't even breaking. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I know I've been, going on for a bit for this answer but yeah it's sean cansdale and i think he rips to this day and i think he's someone who who probably overall was underrated in terms of how good he was what about you mitch who you got well i actually was thinking about him i'm glad that you said him so that way i didn't have to go based off just like (laughs) my love for him because that's a goofy footer his style is so particular it's so sick i could have watched that guy rip a left a four foot left all day long. I'd, I'd probably even pay to watch that too. But um, Sean Cansdale, underrated, really love his style. I'm going to go with a personal pick to me and a person that was on the championship tour for a long time. He lived up to the hype of being a child prodigy. Multiple top time, a uh, top 10 finisher on the men's championship tour side. It's Jeremy Flores. 
Uh, mm. What he was able to do during his CT career really goes undervalued, underappreciated, especially winning at home in France in 2019, an event that he was nowhere going to lose. It just seemed like everything was going his way that event in 2019. Waves are pumping. He beat Italo in the final in incredible waves at La Graviere. Made a final in Karamas, lost to Kanoe Garashi, made a final in Brazil in 2008, lost to B. Durbage, but it's a two-time event winner at Pipe. He's won in Tahiti. He's definitely one of the best barrel riders that the championship tour has ever seen. And his rail game was incredible, too. A very consistent surfer, and what I think, a very complete surfer, too, Dave. That's a great pick. And he seems like one of those guys who, in terms of the question, being underrated, like suffered a little bit from the pretty overt call that this is the next Kelly Slater. Mm -hmm. You know, he was picked up by Quicksilver when he was really young, traveled the world, technically perfect. And he's someone who he qualified when he was 17. You know, he's on tour. He was a kid and he had to grow up on tour and he grew up on tour, you know, amongst a bunch of lions, you know, and, and he, he traded blows with them. And I think for a lot of people, they thought, here's a young guy. He's really, he's a good competitor, not a surfer, you know? And I think that that broad categorization on the CT is so stupid and, and, but it happens. Like people go, that's a competitor. That's a surfer, blah, blah, blah. Jeremy is a surfer. You know, he was a very successful young competitor. And then I remember he blew everyone away at places like Chopu and pipe and no one expected him to be very good in like really dangerous waves. Mm -hmm. But this is a kid from Reunion Island. This is a kid that learned how to surf at dangerous reefs. This is a kid that palled around with the Irons brothers and would push himself in those waves. And so to your point, like he not only won at Grav, which is such a hard thing to do in front of your hometown, but you know, he put up wins at Pipeline and put up huge performances at other places. So I think it's a great pick. I think it's a great pick. Yeah. Jeremy, love you long time. Hope you're enjoying retirement. Our second question from at santo.ricardo. Is it obvious we need a rippable left on tour? Pretty easy question for both of us, Dave. <laughs> I feel like we get this question a bit, but I'm always happy to answer it. Yes, I, I, think, I think having a rippable left on tour is really important. Like, and, and I think that when you look at the structure of the Dream Tour, which started out in the late 90s, it was... It happened with, you know, uh, Wayne Rabbit Bartholomew as president was essentially the architect. You know, Graham Stapleberg, who was a general executive prior to that, had a lot to do with it. Graham Cassidy, Peter Whitaker, Brody Carr were all CEOs while Rabbit was the president. And Rabbit always said, look, the Dream Tour, it's an 80-20 kind of thing. You want 80%, the very, very best waves you can get agnostic of all the other mitigating factors. And then 20% should be audience generating waves. And maybe they're not the very best waves, but they should tick a box in terms of variety because we're looking for the most comprehensive surfers on the planet. And I think the way it, it, it was developed over the course of those few decades is for sure, it has to be sponsors were supporting it. it used to be event licensees. So you saw a lot of events happening in Australia. And what does Australia have? World-class right-hand point breaks. A lot of them, right? Um, so I, I feel like it really bore out of that, that genesis. And there's a lot of legacy built into the DNA of the tour to this day. 
I think unfortunately, and I don't think anyone did this intentionally, unless it was natural footers sort of pulling the strings at the top of the sport for a period of time. I have no evidence of this. But I think a lot of the rippable left-handers around the world, whether it was, you know, Ragland or, you know, Point Breaks in Peru, you know, Fiji, which has been a tour stop for a period of time, um, you know, Pavones, weren't places initially for a lot of reasons. Maybe it was commercial support, maybe it was infrastructure, maybe they just weren't really well known about when the tour was developed. Didn't make it into that original makeup of the sport. But for sure, I think it would not only be good for the goofy footers and not only be something that you and I would personally be excited about, but I think it's also a great opportunity for natural footers to show a different side of their surfing. You know, it's not just, oh, the natural footers don't want to go left. I'm sure they'd love to. I'm sure they'd be love to, to showcase that aspect of their surfing. And I'm sure the goofy footers for sure would love to open up. Um, but yeah, I will ask you the question back, Mitch, <laughs> is it obvious that we need a rippable left on tour? Hell yeah, it is, Dave. And I think <laughs> an easy answer for me, that's to bring back the CT to Uluwatu. It's a great wave, mm, mm. very consistent, super accessible to everybody in real close proximity to Australia. And I feel like if we did a small Balinese leg where we involve Karamas and Uluwatu both back to back, that would be a dream tour for me. Having one performance right that barrels with one performance left that also barrels both waves very consistent, it's easy to do. Great idea. All right. Third question, and it's a very fun one as well. We appreciate all of, all, all of our listeners for throwing in these questions, but we do have to give our for our, our co-broadcasters like at Vini Fornari, who does the Portuguese broadcast, um, some props too, because he threw in a great one, Dave. How to prepare mm. for judging, uh, surfing evolution and judging, wave pools, airs, and surfboard construction. What do you feel about that? How, how to prepare judging for, okay. Um, it's a good question. I mean, I mean, I think all those, all those, options are really good for the ongoing progression of surfing. I, I honestly think the best, the best way to keep the interpretation of the judging criteria by the judges as sharp as it has been is the ongoing dialogue and communication between the CT surfers. Yes. Right. Yes. The, the judges themselves are all world-class surfers and, and I think the CT surfers really respect that. And they absolutely appreciate world-class surfing, so they respect the CT surfers. I think when they have a consistent dialogue and an interpretation for what is advancing surfing and what is advancing surfing in a substantive way, because let's face it, progress isn't always a straight line. Mm. Sometimes you go down a cul-de-sac and you got to come back to the highway <laughs> and keep going, right? And sometimes when new things happen in surfing, because it's progressive and innovative, it gets overskewed in terms of value. And after a period of time, that dialogue between the CT surfers and the best judges um, are gonna go, okay, that was exciting, but it's not maybe the most functional thing compared to where we were. So it's not that we're going to abandon scoring that, but we might calibrate a little bit more towards the center and see where implementing that part of people's repertoires pushes surfing to the next phase. Um, and I'm talking a lot here, but, but my answer is, yeah, I think wave pools are great in terms of consistency and in terms of creating that. Um, airs, of course, like I think airs for the last couple of decades have been a really exciting, progressive element of surfing. 
And then surfboard construction is an option. I'm I'm not 100% sure about how that that plays into the advancement of judging, but it certainly plays a role in the advancement of surfing, yep. which again, if that dialogue's happening between the CT surfers and the judges is great because the criteria while it's broad in a way is intended to be broad because surfing's a subjectively scored sport. But I think it's something you can apply to almost any venue on the planet on any given day and emphasize different parts of it in dialogue with the world's best surfers because they know that's what's important on the day. That's what's most difficult. That is the tip of the spear in terms of what the best surfing in the world is. But I don't know, Mitch, what do you think about that question? Well, I, I completely agree with your answer about there being that open dialogue between the surfers and the judges. I think that needs to happen even more on the Challenger Series side, too, with a larger amount of competitors on the CS. I think a big thing for me, and especially being a judge as well, is there needs to be a lot more openness between the surfers and the judges. I don't feel mm. like there's any disturbance whatsoever by having their faces, their names, be, uh, when they write their scores either especially when you see the one graphic where it says the one country, you know, this country gave it a certain score. I don't know why that doesn't need to be a thing. I truly think that we would find more value in that in appreciation. And there also needs to be a promotion of exploring things outside of the championship tour as well. You need to be mm -hmm. able to diversify your knowledge when it comes to certain aerial maneuvers, things that you're not going to see every day. What if you do happen to see it? Are you going to be able to score it? Are you going to understand it? Are you going to be able to define the categorization of it, how difficult it is or how easy it is in comparison to other maneuvers? Those kind of things I feel are what's going to progress surfing the most. And especially when it comes to elevating and improvising the judging criteria, Dave. It's a great call. And um, the, I think the transparency thing's a, uh, a big one. You know, back when I started, I think the judges' initials were on all the scores. I think with the advent of social media and a lot of, and we mentioned it with Jadson Andre, there's a lot of anonymous keyboard warriors out there. And some of them that violently threaten people. People get very passionate about sports. Um, I think it was taken away for safety purposes, but I think transparency is important. And I'll reiterate too that. I think it's incumbent upon both parties to come together and have that dialogue. Yeah. I know for a fact that it does happen, um, but it could happen more. And I think on the surfer side too, like it's important that they know that that door is open yeah. and that they take advantage of it. Like I know as a professional athlete, you've got a lot on your plate. You got your training, you got your professional responsibilities, you have the actual active competition. But if you're not taking the time to invest back in the sport, and to invest back in the expression of the world's best surfing, you're going to get frustrated, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that is happening or not happening, but I think it's important that that dialogue continue. Yeah. Yeah. No, I truly agree. And then one other thing that I want to mention on top of that too, is that there needs to be a certain sense of communication in between the surfers and the judges too. If you only want to communicate in a very negative or aggressive way, that's not going to work. There needs to be some open dialogue when it comes to um, getting to know these people on a personal level and vice versa for the judges as well. There needs to be some understanding of where a person is coming from, and you need to be able to look at things both ways as well. Understanding things, Dave, and comprehending why these people are behaving a certain way is also a key element of why surfing is progressing the way it has over the last decade or so, I feel, especially when it comes to the rise of the Brazilian storm and what they've contributed to the sport of surfing overall. 
Hundred percent. Well, Mitch, it's a lot of fun. It's nice to have you back in California after the uh, back-to-back legs you were just on, and uh, really appreciate you talking to me about surfing. And looking forward to the next one. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it a lot. And uh, hopefully, we have, we have some good waves for Jeffrey's Bay. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Congratulations once again to Caitlin Simmers and Iago Dora for winning the Vivo Rio Pro, as well as to Matt Violas and Mayhem Surfboards for retaining their number one spot on the current Visla CT Shaper rankings. Stop number nine on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Corona Open J-Bay in South Africa, starts in about a week and will stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Wanenyo native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.